Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. Be tenacious. Just always keep working. Just always keep working on your craft, whether you're a magician or a comedian or a writer or an actor. Just keep, don't give up. Just keep on, just keep on. And and for the young magicians, I always tell them, just do as many shows as you possibly can. All right, welcome back to another episode of Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. I am so pumped today. You have no idea why. I will explain to you why. Today, I am in Las Vegas, Nevada. I came here for a beautiful event, the Shaquille O'Neal Comedy All-Stars, which Bill Bellamy was hosting. It was a really special event at the Rio. And before I came here, I thought to myself, let me reach out to a guy who really, really means a lot to me and who's very special and who I really, really love dearly. A guy who is probably one of the greatest magicians of all time. And I'm talking about Lance Burton. And I reached out to Lance and immediately, and I'm so humbled by it, he said, yes, he would love to do it. So we are here at lunchtime on a Saturday. I program his address here into my phone. I notice it's about 25 minutes away from where I am. I'm thinking, where could that possibly be? I call an Uber driver. We come here. And I am not kidding you, ladies and gentlemen. We are driving up to a castle in the sky. I think Rhode Island could safely fit in this house. It's unbelievable. We are sitting in this beautiful family room with windows that look like they're three stories high overlooking the mountains of Las Vegas. You know you're meeting somebody who's famous when you drive up to the gate and the gate lets you in and then there's two more gates after that before you get anywhere. That is pretty intense, everybody. And I'm excited to be here with Lance Burton. As you know, I just want to thank you guys so much for everything. You guys have been so fantastic to me 
and to the show and been so supportive. And I can't even begin to tell you how grateful I am. And it's just been so great getting all the responses from all of you from all over the world. Really, really incredible. So thank you so much for all your support. And as always, I like to look at my guest and I never know what I'm going to say. But I will tell you one thing, everybody. I think today, as I come into this compound and I see Lance Burden, I think I know what I'm going to say. When I look at Lance Burden and I sit around here in this beautiful basil, I think to myself, what does it take to get from Louisville, Kentucky to a castle in the sky in Las Vegas? All of you out there thinking to yourselves how you're going to get to the next level. What's it going to take to have the kind of life that you've always dreamed of? And I'm going to tell you what it's going to take. Something you've heard probably over and over again. It's going to take the knowledge in your mind and your soul that you can do it. The knowledge that you are great. The knowledge that you can be one of the best, if not the best ever. The knowledge that it's okay to study footage of Houdini and Harry Blackstone Jr., and other great comedians from vaudeville all the way up to the 50s and 60s. There's nothing wrong with seeing the blueprint of how people were successful if you're in Louisville, Kentucky, and you have no access to anything else. It's okay to work harder than everybody else as a beginner and work really hard to get your first break so that when you do get your first break, and you get your first Tonight Show shot with Johnny Carson, where they only give you five and a half to six and a half minutes, and you do your rehearsal, you make sure that you do something that people talk about so much that Johnny comes down from his dressing room. Johnny rarely came down from his dressing room. But on that day, Johnny did come down. And when he saw the rehearsal of Lance Burton, and what he'd worked hard for and probably put 10,000 hours into that first routine. He said to his producers, let's double the kid's time. Let's give him 12 minutes. And if you know anything about The Tonight Show, you know that no one got 12 minutes as a performer. If you're a comic, if you got four and a half to five and a half minutes or a magician, it was a miracle. But Lance Burton from the king was given 12 minutes. And guess what happens when you have 12 minutes on The Tonight Show when it's the only game in town and 30 million people watch the show and you hold them for 12 minutes? It blows people away. You know how I know it blows people away? Because I was at Boston University. I believe I just graduated and I bought myself a VCR and I put it in my living room. And one thing I knew about the VCR to slow things down, there was a pause and a play button. And this is how much my memory serves me and how I know that this performance was one of the greatest performances ever. 
because I still remember it to this day. And Lance, I know he won't correct me because I know this is the routine I remember. I don't remember everything, but what I remember is a trick that was so simplistic in the vision of it, where a lit candle appeared from a handkerchief. And I recorded this performance because my uncle was the number one expert on Houdini in the world, and I loved magic. I would play this over and over again, pressing play and pause, play and pause, play and pause, (laughs) watching every second of this candle come out of this handkerchief. And I swear to you, everybody, I still could not figure out what the fuck was happening. And so if I'm a kid from Longmeadow, Massachusetts, hanging out in Boston after college, and I'm talking about it 35 years <laughs> later, you can imagine what 30 million people were talking about back then. And so that break where he was extraordinary and all the hard work paid off led to many other specials. The first one being an NBC Hour special, which was one of the first of its kind, that just blew people away. So now, instead of doing 12 minutes, he's doing about 42 minutes and 30 seconds when you count the commercials. And what happens when you do your work in any line of work, you either do great work and they give you more work, or you do ordinary work and you don't get anything else or you get fired. But Lance Burden didn't do ordinary work and he got multiple specials after that after at least annual specials that were incredible and really put him on the map but then a lot of people don't understand you do the tonight show you think it's a big break it is a big break but you get a check for 535 dollars and 50 cents that's not going to pay the rent in louisville kentucky so you got to figure out how you're going to take that to the next level. And so what Lance did was he got a job at a show in Las Vegas, the Follies Brigere, which is very interesting. I know he knows that he could have gone into a small room in Las Vegas right away. And I know he knows that he could have done his own show right away. But what he did was he thought to himself, if I'm going to go into this big market, I'm going to prove to this market that I belong. And I'm going to take as much time as it takes to do that. And he spent about nine years at the Follies Brigere building a name for himself until a hotel came calling and said, you know, Lance, we'd love to have you at our hotel. And that was the Hacienda Hotel. So Lance went into the Hacienda and what hotels normally do when they want to bet on an act like Lance, but they're not really sure they'll do something where they'll ask the artist to bet on themselves. They'll say, hey, we'll do a four-wall deal. You can take the majority of the door, and we'll take the bar and the food, and hopefully you'll bring in customers that'll gamble, and it'll be a great investment. But I would like some guaranteed money, Hacienda Hotel. I mean, I think I'd like to get a paycheck every week that's huge. And <laughs> I'm sorry, Lance, you were just on the, you know, you, you weren't even the star of that show that you were at that the other place. I, you know, I can't really justify that. You're going to have to bet on yourself. But Lance Burton bet on himself. 
And so when things worked out at the Hacienda Forum and he started drawing, guess who came calling? The Monte Carlo. And the Monte Carlo said, we want you. But at that point, Lance was in a position of power. So he's able to get more things, more financial concessions, guaranteed money versus the door, and something that had never, ever been done before. They gave him his own theater that had his name on it. Now you come to Vegas, oh, it's the Penn and Teller Theater, it's the David Copperfield Theater, it's the Barry Katz Theater. Back then, there was only one theater in 96, the Lance Burton Theater. And he signed a 13-year deal there, unprecedented. It was a $100 million deal over the course of time versus what he's doing. And when you perform well and you do well, you say to yourself, am I going to make it? Is it going to happen? 13 years. How am I going to make it happen for 13 years? Well, guess what, everybody? He did. He actually did it for 14 years, and then he retired. And so the point is, is that his career grew with his hard work, innovation, always thinking about the next step, always thinking about how to get to the next level, and always performing to the highest levels. And if you ever saw Lance Burton perform, he could perform for somebody who was 90, and he could perform for somebody who was 19, and somebody who was 9. And every single person in that crowd loved him. He was accessible. He was kind. He was generous. He never looked like he was having anything bother him at the time. And he gave everything to every single performance and every trick he did. And so when I sit here in this palatial mansion and I look across at Lance Burton, I think of the American dream. And if you're out there anywhere living in some obscure part of your country and you have a dream to be something special, it's pretty evident that if you really commit to whatever you want to do and you work harder than anybody else, not just in your area, but anybody else in your country, and you do this work that's extraordinary, that people look at and they say, holy shit, that is unbelievable, like I did when I saw the candles trick on The Tonight Show. <laughs> I guarantee you, whatever profession you're in, I think you'll have a great chance of having a castle on a hill and having the kind of career that Lance Burton has had. Here we go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention a name. You can either say whatever comes to mind. Maybe there's a great story. Maybe there's just one word. Maybe it's a sentence. But what just comes to your mind, okay. your heart, when I say it. Just like therapy. <laughs> David Copperfield. David Copperfield. Yes. I remember seeing him. Doing his, he's a, a few years older than me, and he started doing his TV specials when he was like, you know, 20 years old. So I remember seeing him. Uh, I was back in Kentucky, you know, going to high school, 
and he's doing television specials. Uh, uh, always, always doing really creative, terrific magic. Mick Jagger and Paul McCartney are rarely ever going to be on the same show. With magicians, you're rarely going to be on a show, if ever, with David Copperfield. When you look at another magician from afar and you see that they're successful and they're doing well, are magicians more cold to one another and isolated? Like, is you know, if if you went over to see a David Copperfield show on your day off and you went backstage and said, "Great job, David," would he or any other magician in the back of their mind be like, "Why is he here? <laughs> is he trying to find out some secrets from me?" Or would David or any other magician be appreciative of you coming over? Uh, yeah, no. Most magicians are very friendly and very fraternal towards other magicians. Um, and and if they see your show, you know, sometimes they'll, if they have an idea, they'll tell you. And sometimes you'll go, wow, I, I never thought of that. That's a great idea. Or they have a joke or a line or, or a bit that they want to, that when, when I see a, when I see a, another magic show, uh, if I, if I uh, see something and I have an idea or that can improve it or, you know, I'm usually pretty, pretty open about saying, hey, why don't you, here's an idea for you and just throwing it out there. Because I know I always appreciated it when people did that with me when they came to my show and said, oh, you know, here's, here's a line or here's a thing you ought to do at this point in the show. Uh, was always, uh, you know, sometimes somebody can see something with new eyes that you don't see. Siegfried and Roy. Siegfried and Roy. Again, I was, I saw them on uh, uh, Merv Griffin, I think, when I was like 12, 13 years old. Uh, and, and it was because of Siegfried and Roy that I wanted to come to Las Vegas, that I wanted to move, always wanted to move to Las Vegas. Because when I was like 12 or 13 years old, I didn't know anything about Las Vegas. Except Merv Griffin went there for a week. Every year he would go to Vegas for a week and do a show from, from Las Vegas. I didn't know anything about gambling, resorts. I didn't know where Las Vegas was. I didn't know what state it was in. But I'd seen Siegfried and Roy. And I knew there was a city called Las Vegas. And that's where the professional magicians lived. <laughs> David Blaine. David Blaine uh, came along at a time um, and, and sort of changed the, the business of magic on television. Uh, he, he was the first one to kind of take the magic out and make it in, into a reality show, on the, doing his magic on the streets. Um, a few years ago... I was in New York City. This was probably about 2010, 2011. I had just retired from the stage, and there was a, there was a documentary that came out called Make Believe. I love that. That was with the kids. The kids. There were six kids, young magicians that they followed for a year. One of them was Kristen Lambert Kristen, from Malibu. Yeah. 
and and they and the finale of the of the documentary they all came to Las Vegas to compete for the title of the world's best young magician in a contest that I was the sponsor of and I was there to pre present them with the award and so they asked me the the filmmakers uh uh, uh Jay uh Clay Tweel who has a new movie out uh, now called Gleason which is getting rave notices uh, but anyway, he they asked me uh, to 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 go help promote the movie when they were making their New York debut. So we went to New York, and um, and we were at Tannen's Magic doing interviews and photos and and promoting the movie. And um, I had met David Blaine uh, a year or so earlier when he came to my show in Las Vegas, and. Uh, and so I called and let him know I was in New York. And he said, uh, what are you doing for dinner tonight? And I said, nothing. And he says, well, let's go to dinner. I said, great. I said, I'm, and he says, where are you? I says, I'm at Tannins, and I'll be done like at 5 o'clock. He says, okay, I'll pick you up. So now 5 o'clock, I go outside. We're in New York. I go outside on the street with Tannins, and here comes David Blaine on a motorcycle. <laughs> and he pulls up. And so, so I get on the back of this motorcycle. We're going to go to the sushi. So I get on the back of this motorcycle. I put this helmet on. And now he, can't, he tears off down the street. And, and he is weaving in and out of traffic. And, and all, at one point, we almost got hit by a horse and carriage. And I'm like, really? This is how I'm going to die in New York being hit by a horse and carriage? <laughs> and so, so we we're going to the other side of town, and we go in this restaurant. And we had this great sushi, and it was a great evening. What do you talk about? We talk about about magic and um, just life, and uh, and he he at that time was, and he's he's he was he was talking about uh, uh, doing a stage show. He was really interested in in. And he had done, you know, close-up magic and TV specials, but at that time he hadn't he hadn't done that much performing on stage, and that's what he was was really interested in. And subsequently, he has done some performances. And uh, but anyway, that's what we make magic. But at the end of the evening, you know, I was, I'm going back to my hotel. He offered to ride me back on the motorcycle, and I was like, No, 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 that's okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna just get a cab. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to make you drive over to him. And then your cab hit a horse. Yeah. <laughs> As a sidelight, one of the things that I think most people don't understand about magic specials and a lot of producers and a lot of networks don't understand is shooting magic. You have to have somebody with the mentality that's one of the greatest directors of all time. It's a specialized, it's a specialized type of directing. It's incredibly difficult and you have to do many takes and so... When somebody like David Blaine is on the street, what you watch and what you see, you just see one take. But David, he's got two cameras going, sometimes three, and he'll be like, okay, cameraman, come on right here, go on, focus on this now. And then he'll start talking about it again. You don't see that part. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go over here and do this here, turn this way, do this, get the camera in here. And because he has to direct things as they go, because if you don't shoot magic the right way, you don't get, and there's many specials, and we've all seen them, where the magic is not shot properly, and it's not as great as yeah. it could be because you really have to do it, and you have to do it over and over and over again. There's never 
ever been a magic special that's successful where you're out on the street and they do one take. It's just not possible. It's it's possible, but it's it's difficult. Here's the thing, though. Each magic trick, it's different. You have to look at the trick and figure out, how do I capture this and make it magical on the screen? And, and you know going in, it's never, ever, ever going to be the same watching it on TV as it is watching it live. Magic's always, always better live because you're there and you're experiencing it. When you're watching it on the screen, you're, you're one step removed from it. But, but, here, but when, when we shot my specials, what we tried to do is I would discuss, and we discussed this with the director with each trick. Sometimes the director would say to me, okay, what is the magic shot on this trick? And by that, we mean what, what is the part of the trick where you don't want to cut away? For, for instance, let's say you're going to do, you're going to have a girl and you're going to put her in a basket and stick swords through the basket and then pull the source out, and she pops up. So, okay, you got the girl, she gets in the basket. Now, you can't cut. You can't cut from that shot to a wider shot or to a closer shot or to for another angle. Because if you do, the audience sitting at home is going to say, aha, did you see that? They cut from that camera to another angle. She's not in there anymore. They just stopped the camera. She got out, and that's why they did that. Uh, so, so that's that's what you have to try. You have to kind of think about the audience's experience. What is how is the audience going to experience this uh, when they're watching it? Uh, so, so that's the challenge with magic is is how do you shoot? And it's and each trick is different. Each individual trick has its own set of challenges. But the goal was always to bring to bring the experience as close to seeing it live as possible. Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. You know, <clears throat> those guys uh, may be the most creative magicians out there. They always have unusual and interesting takes on everything they do. Chris Angel. Chris Angel is perhaps the hardest working magician I have ever met. The guy gets... And I met Chris... Hey everybody, I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one -on -one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to barrycats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. Um, about 20 years ago, I had seen him on, on uh, a television show on, on one of these magic documentaries. And, uh, and he came to my show and I met him and, and, 
And then later on, he did a special, which he financed himself and shot himself, and it was on the uh, Sci-Fi Channel. And he was, he had taken what that kind of street magic thing and taken it to a different in a different direction. And I could see he was really hardworking, and he was really kind of plugged into popular culture. Um, and he had this, he had this something special that allowed him to connect with people through the screen. And I started telling my friends, watch this, keep your eye on this guy, because he's going to be a big name in magic. And then a few years later, he did the Mind Freak series, and that just, you know, his career just blew up. I mean, it went, went to, a, to a whole new stratospheric level. Uh, but to this day, very hardworking. The guy only gets two or three hours sleep a night, if that. He's always, he's do, besides doing his shows every day, he's working on, just working, working, working on all these different projects. Doug Henning. Doug Henning. What a sweet man. What a kind man Doug Henning was. Uh, I remember Doug Henning, his first television special on NBC, uh, was uh, I think 1972, and I was 12 years old. <clears throat> Doug was the guy that kicked off the popularity of magic that we're still enjoying to this day. He came down from Canada, and they did the magic show on Broadway. became a big hit, and and uh, he did his first special on NBC, and he insisted that it was live because he wanted. He didn't want people to think it was trick photography. He did this first few specials live, and that's an hour special live. That's that's hard to do. Wow! But Doug Doug became an instant household name, uh, and and I got to meet him in '81 when I moved out west, and he was very kind to me, very sweet man, and. Uh, and when Doug passed away from liver cancer at age 52, uh, I went to the uh, memorial service and I did the broken wand ceremony. Broken wand ceremony, when a magician dies, it's usually done, it's always done by another magician at, at the memorial service. And it's uh, basically, it's talking about, you have a magic wand and you talk about the wand as a symbol of a magician's uh, talent or his power, or what he does. but but it's just really an inanimate object without the magician to wield the wand, and you break the wand in half to symbolize the passing of the magician from one from this life to the next. And uh, and I did that at Doug's service. Again, another very surreal moment. Wow. Uh, let's talk about a few people that were around in the 50s and 60s and maybe up to the Doug Henning stage that actually were on television and were household names then, Mark Wilson and Harry Blackstone Jr. Harry Blackstone Jr. was a, was a dear friend of mine and, and was a terrific magician. His father before him, Harry Blackstone Sr., um, very, very kind to me. He, he did an illusion in his show uh, called The Vanishing Elephant, and it was a really terrific illusion where the elephant would would sort of visibly sort of dissolve and disappear. And when I opened my show at the Monte Carlo, I wanted to do uh, make a car disappear. And I called Harry and asked permission to use his elephant vanish 
to vanish a car. And he said yes and gave me permission. And that was so my car vanishing car was based on Harry Blackstone Jr.'s vanishing elephant. Well, it was one of your biggest bits in your routine. Oh yeah, it was a terrific trick. Houdini. Houdini. Yes. Uh, I became aware of Houdini, of course, through uh, Tony Curtis playing Houdini. My uncle used to say the only thing they got right about that movie was the misspelling of the name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was it was a pretty heavily fictionalized <laughs> version of Houdini's life. But Tony Curtis was such a great performer. And then, uh, you know, Tony, Tony Curtis moved to Las Vegas and lived here for the last 15 or 20 years of his life. I got to meet him. In fact, uh, I did the unveiling of the Houdini stamp for the United States Postal Service. Right behind us is a huge, like, 20-foot by 10-foot image of the postage stamp of Harry Houdini that was unveiled about... 1997, maybe, yeah. at 98. So we had this hanging. For the unveiling, we, we had this giant postage stamp hanging on stage at the Monte Carlo Hotel, and we had all the press there, and... And then we, we opened up the curtain, and there was the Houdini stamp. And then I did the upside-down straitjacket escape hanging with, with Houdini's stamp behind me. And guess who came out on stage to strap me in the straitjacket? Tony Curtis. Wow. Yeah. Was that cool? So Tony Curtis uh, strapped me in the straitjacket. And, and I did the upside-down straitjacket for the unveiling of the Houdini stamp. James Franco. James Franco. What a fantastic actor. What a great artist. Um, when, they, when they were working on shooting Oz the Great and Powerful, uh, they contacted me and, and sent me the script and said, we want, we're interested in having you teach James Franco magic. Uh, for the movie. And and I read the script and I fell in love with it. Of course, we all saw Wizard of Oz when we were kids. And so this was sort of a prequel to it. This These are the events that were 20 years before the Wizard of Oz. This is how, this is how uh, Oz got from Kansas. Oz the Great and Powerful got, got to Kansas and became the Wizard of Oz. So uh, most of my work on the film is in the first sort of 10 or 12 minutes of the film that takes place in Kansas before he's whisked away to the land of Oz. Um, but it was really a thrill to work with James and, uh, uh, and, and the director. Uh, Sam was one of, the, one, of the, one of the great directors. Uh, that we've produced here in America. And uh, he, he was very diligent about wanting the magic to be really good. So I was very proud of, I was very proud of the magic in that movie. A few questions, random questions that I think are always been on my mind. Number one, why do magicians get such a bad rap in the world sometimes? Obviously, a lot of people revere and love magicians but why is it that a lot of the general public rock stars like Mick Jagger they get the most respect then the iconic comedians get the next level of respect and it just seems that the highest level of magicians no matter how successful they are there's always people who are like, ugh, magic. 
And then there's other magicians. A guy will become successful. Like you'll see David Blaine on the show where he dug his hand into his chest and pulled out his heart on Carson Daly. Oh, yeah. And you'll be like, oh, my God, that was amazing. And another magician will say, eh, I know how he did it. <laughs> like, why is it that magicians get this kind of thing about them? What uh, do you think it is? I don't know. Uh, you know, I think I think the thing about it is there is a big difference in magic uh, more so than any other art form. There's a big difference between experiencing a great magician live and experiencing a great magician on television. There's a big chasm between those two because live is always better. Uh, I always loved having people come to my live show that hate magic. I loved it. Because I knew I was going to win them over. 99.9% .9 of the time, I was going to win them over. And at the end of the show, they were going to say to me, you know, I always hated magic. I always hated magic shows. But I really enjoyed this show. Uh, there's just something about, about Magic Live that... Uh, it's a wonderful feeling. It taps into something deep, deep in our DNA when you see something that's just unexplainable. It's just something attractive about that. And, and, and no matter how hard we work at it, you'll never get that same feeling watching on television because you're always a step removed. You, you always have an out. As an audience member, for instance, in my show, Remember when I would be on stage and all of a sudden I was gone and I'm standing on the sound booth right behind you yes. and I blow the whistle? Yes. Now, when that happened in my show, I saw people turn and throw their drink in the air. <laughs> I've seen people fall out of their seats into the aisle. <laughs> and and sometimes the best reaction was the trout look. People <laughs> would turn and look at me and the mouth would just go open. And they wouldn't applaud. They wouldn't laugh. They, the eyes would just glaze over and the mouth would be open. And they just watch me like going back run, as I ran back. Like, and they, they'd start to lean in because they, they couldn't. They, were, they kept leaning closer and closer like, is that really him? Is, it, is that really him? <laughs> and they were just sort of, they would, they would, it was involuntary. But I would see them leaning because I know they would, I know they were looking and that you could see the wheels turning in the head and they were confronted with something that couldn't be. And it was just such a great moment. And, and so it didn't, it didn't on a moment like that in the show, it didn't matter if they were a magic fan or they hated magic. The reaction was exactly the same. Uh, and you can, and, and on television, you can never get that on TV because you always have an out as an audience member but you see something, a really amazing magic trick on TV, for a brief moment, you'll be surprised. You'll, and then you'll go, oh, well, you know, they, they must have, they must have done, they, they did a camera cut or it's a special effect or they, they did something, you know, you always have an out. And I think that's it. I think, I think if you see Mick Jagger live, that must be fantastic, but you can put the album and listen to it in your car. You can watch watch a concert on TV, and I think you get, you know, 90, 99% of the same thing. The music still comes through, whereas magic, you're always a step removed. All right, let's talk about being a step removed, something that's an anomaly in your profession. 
in every profession in the world except your profession this exists yeah there has never been in the history of magic a household name female magician why um you know what uh um uh, well here and now here's and here's the thing about it though when i was a teenager doing magic and and you would go to a magic competition you know and you would have maybe 50 kids get up and do their act to compete maybe maybe one would be a female magician uh in the in the in the youth group that i sponsor that i've sponsored uh for the last 20 years uh at one point when when we had it in vegas every year at one point we had about 60 kids come to the seminar young magicians and and at one point we had about one third of the kids were young lady magicians Kristen lambert being one of them being one of the most successful ones so that's changing i think i think the culture is more of accepting of uh, young ladies doing magic. Let's keep going in the culture. Let's keep going in there the culture. There are no household name African American, Asian, Latino. Why? Um, that's a good question. It doesn't cost money to start your magic career. Baseball, you have to buy bats, gloves, <laughs> ice skating, you have to buy equipment. Why are there no household name? ethnicities in magic well we're we're working on it the international brotherhood of magicians we just elected our first latino president oscar muñez was just sworn in last month it's not like racism where people are holding a culture down here's my explanation why there aren't more female magicians a lot of kids get interested in magic the ones that stick with magic are the ones that are very maladjusted, like me. You know, kids, kids that weren't great in sports, and 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 they they gravitated towards magic. So I think I think the girls are much more well adjusted than the boys. I think you're probably right. Okay, so now the magic for those of you out there that may not know this, there's a show that's doing amazing with one of my clients in it, Adam Trent called The Illusionist, which is produced by a guy named Simon Painter and Lee Marshall at Magic Space and became the highest selling, most profitable magic show in Broadway history and tours all over the world with seven male magicians who do different kind of magic and escapology. And there's an amazing guy who does the card illusion from asia korean guy yeah yeah he's fantastic he was the first he was the first korean magician to win the grand prix yeah incredible so when you watch new magicians come out and they do a show and collectively seven of them strength and numbers become impressive and it does big numbers does it make you excited to be a magician to see that things are getting hotter or do you say yeah yeah. Uh, that's seven guys together and no no it makes me feel very very good um when they were putting that show together uh the illusionist i got a call this is right after i had retired from the stage and i got a call from uh brett daniels who was involved in putting that show together back 
whenever it was, 2010. And he, he called me and explained the concept of the show and, and wanted to know if I would want to come out and go on the show. And I was like, Brett, you know, I've been, I've been doing, I've been doing shows every day for the last 31 years. I just want to, I think I just want to, want to stay home and, and chill. Uh, but they, they, uh, that show has did amazing business and, and, and has spawned a whole bunch of other touring magic shows. Um, and they have a second company of it, uh, outperforming now. Um, so, so it just goes to show, you know, if you have, if you have really good, strong magic acts and you let them go out on stage and do their thing, uh, people like it, people respond to it. Sometimes people don't get to see artists in an emotional way, but I imagine one of the most emotional days and times of your life was your last show you ever performed. Could you take our audience through that? Yeah, that, uh, that was, that was a very, yeah, that was a very emotional day. And I really didn't know what was going to happen if I was going to be able to get through the show or not. Cause you know, that was, I, I felt pretty sure that was going to be my last time on stage doing the show. And, uh, uh, I really didn't know if I could get, but it turned out to be fine, and it turned it turned out to be one of the best shows I ever did. So I got to leave the stage on a high note, and there is a there is a two minute video on YouTube uh, that people can look up if they're interested, because because when we were planning the last show, you know, my assistant Edelin says to me, "What do you want to do on your last show? Do you want to do you want to have a party?" You want to have, you know, how do you see this going? Now, I've always felt vaguely uncomfortable on opening nights and five-year anniversary shows and 10-year anniversary shows. And I always showed up and I always went to the after party and shook hands and kissed the babies and took the photos. And, but, you know, I never, I, I never really enjoyed that. I enjoyed being on stage and doing entertaining the audience what did you say to the audience that final time at the I, end? you know so this is what i said i said listen you know what i want to do at the end of the show i want to walk off stage and i want to walk straight back through the doors i want to get in my car and i want to drive home <laughs> and so so i thought about it i said you know that's a good idea so what we did was we had a we had a screen there that we could bring down to to when I did a little close-up magic or something that we could project on the screen. So at the end of the show, on the bow, as I was bowing, the screen came down, and my 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 uh, my buddy uh, Bob Massey, who is my AV guy there at the show, he came out on stage with the camera, and it was live. It was hooked up live to the to the projector to the screen, so he could get a shot of me from the side, and and we and he got behind me to get the reverse shot of me bowing and the audience applauding. So everybody knew it was live. I wanted to establish that. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, 
Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. This camera was live. And, and I waved goodbye, and I said, thank you very much. And I pointed to the screen, and I said, we're live. And, I ex- and as I exited, the audience was a great audience. It was a standing ovation. It was, the audience was very much, they, they threw flowers, they threw roses, which I wasn't expecting, which, which, which shocked me. But I kept, and I had like a, a dozen long stem roses that I had picked up off the ground or caught. And I exited with the flower, and Bob followed me with the camera. So we and now, now we're still projecting live on the screen. And we walked backstage and I said goodbye to my stage manager, gave me a hug, and I walked and I and I just, you know, was hugging cast and crew. And and my girlfriend Gabriella met me and we walked and we walked out the back door. I got her in the car and I I got in the car. She was holding the flowers at that point. I got in the car and the camera was there, and I just looked at the camera and I waved and drove off. <laughs> And uh, and that was projected onto the screen. So did you cry? Uh, no, I felt like it. <laughs> I I held it together, and that that's I didn't know if I would be able to do. Awesome. So that was a great. It was a great uh, exit, and uh, and it's on YouTube. And we used a couple of the shots in my film. I can't wait to see that. (laughs) Your proudest moment in show business. From 15,000 shows, if you had to pick one moment from one show, I'll tell you what happened. Now, you saw the show, so you'll you'll recognize all these tricks. Um, In the second half of the show, I come out and I I make the car appear for for my entrance. And then I go down the audience and I chat with a few people and I use, I try to find a kid to get up, a little boy usually. And I bring him up on stage and I do the miser's dream where I pull the silver dollars out from behind his ears. And it all uh, comes full circle. It all comes full circle. That's one of my favorite moments in the show because it does. It comes full circle because that's how I started in magic. Then I put the kid in the car and I vanish the car and the kid. And then I say to the parents, I can bring your kid back or the car, whichever you like. <laughs> it's a big laugh. Then there's a clap of thunder and the evil sword fighting guy comes sliding down the rope from the from the rafters of the theater and sentences me to death and they take me up to hang to to hang me they take me up the scaffolding and put their noose around my neck and they hang me and I disappear from the hangman and I appear on the chandelier in the middle of the theater 60 feet in the air and I come and I and the chandelier lowers down to the audience I stop at the balcony and wave at the balcony and I come all the way down to the main floor and I hop off the chandelier and I run up to the stage with the kid now the kid has been brought around to meet me 
and me and the kid run up on stage and we take a bow and it's one of the biggest moments of the show and then i get a photo with the kid and i give the kid a t-shirt and i send him back to his seat and everybody's happy so this is this is the the opening of the second half of the show so one night i go out and and there's a kid sitting in the front row he's like seven or eight years old and he's perfect he's smiling he's engaged in the show he's having a great time just you can just look at his face and say oh this kid will be perfect he's, he's the perfect kid and 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 so i go down i talk to a few people and i look at the kid and i say what is your name and, and i forget his name now but it was you know davy or whatever and I, how old are you eight years old i said come on you're going to be my new assistant he jumps out of his seat to come forward i grab his hand and he goes right down on his face and now he's crawling up the stairs to get up on stage. And I realize that the kid has a physical impairment. He has a cerebral palsy, I'm assuming, because he couldn't stand, he couldn't walk, and he couldn't control his hands like, you know, like you, most of us can. So, so, but he wanted to come up on stage. He was still he was trying to crawl up the stairs to get on stage because he wanted to be part of the show and so you know for for a moment the audience is like like what's going on here so i get the kid i help him i i'm bringing him up on stage and now i'm realizing that he has a he can't stand on his own and now i look back to his family there's the mom and dad and there's an older sister she's like 12. so i think i'm thinking on my feet now so I look at her and I go, is this your brother? And she's like, yeah. And I said, can you help us? She said, yeah. She lives with the kid. She knows how to handle him. So she comes up on stage. Now I, have him, I get him up on stage and she's standing behind him and she's just holding him by the, you know, she's got her hands under his armpits. And then we get him facing the audience and he is beaming. He is just smiling and beaming that he is now part of the show he is just so happy and now the audience sees him and they now everyone in the audience is just touched that this kid is is his 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 personality he's so excited to be there and so now i don't say a word about anything i just go right into the trick i start pulling the coins out from behind his ears and every time i produce a coin from behind his ear he laughs and beams and he is he is having the time of his life here is the first time in his life probably that people are looking at him because he's a kid in a magic show so we do the whole trick and and it's just fantastic and now I got to get him in the car to vanish him. So I open the car door and me and the sister, we bring him over and I say, why don't you sit in the car? And I, and she said, and I get him on her lap. So now I got the two of them in the car. And now I, I, I twist his head to the audience. Say, All right, smile at the audience. And he beams and I says, and wave at the audience. Now he starts waving. But his, but because of he's got cerebral palsy, his hand is, is you know, he's having trouble, but he's way, he is going to town waving. And, and, and we get, I get in the car, I pull the car into the, into the box, and the, the car disappears, the box falls apart, and, and, and I walk forward, and I say, I can bring your kid back or the car, whatever you like. And uh, the audience laughs, and then we go into the hangman illusion. They take me up the scaffold, they hang me, I disappear, I come down the chandelier. Now, I get down on stage on the chandelier. Now, my assistant, Karen, has brought the kids around to meet me there in the middle of the audience. 
So I jump off the chandelier, I grab the kid, I throw him up on my shoulder, and now I'm running down the aisle with the kid on my shoulder, and I'm holding my right hand, I'm waving with my left hand, and he is just beaming, and the audience just goes berserk. The ju audience just went wild and would not stop applauding and would not stop cheering. They were cheering for this kid who this was, you know, this kid was having the time of his life. And we get him up on stage and I do the photo and we do the pic and the T-shirt thing and send him back to us to give him another big round of applause. And it was it was, you know, it was the if I had to pick one moment in my career, it would have been it would be that moment was such a every planet aligned and it just it just turned out to be it went from being an illusion to being real magic and after the show now we finished the show i got another 30 minutes to go in the show after the show i'm walking from the stage i'm going down to my dressing room i'm going down the stairs and my assistant karen who brought the the kids around she is in the hallway and she is bawling she is crying and i'm looking there and i'm going I'm, I, don't, I don't know what's going on. I'm Karen, what's wrong? What happened? What, what, what's going on? And she looks at me. She's got tears coming down her face. She says, that little boy. And I went, oh, yeah, that was pretty cool, wasn't it? <laughs> she was, but I mean, the audience was crying. My assistants were crying. It was a, it was a, that, to me, those are the moments that, that are real magic. Um, and, and you just don't know, and we, we're not always aware of all those moments. Sometimes those moments happen, and we're not even aware, but when we do become aware, it's amazing. One time when I was at the Hacienda Hotel, after the show, I was signing autographs. We had sold posters and little programs and things, and these two ladies came up after the show. It was a mother and daughter, and they said, uh, the the they said, oh, we enjoyed the show. And I said, oh, thank you very much. Thanks for coming. And the daughter says, no, no. I mean, we really enjoyed your show. And I said, oh, that's very nice of you. She says, no, no, you don't understand. My father passed away a year ago. And my mother here hasn't left the house in 12 months. And I called her up and I said, I'm taking you to see the show. And she didn't want to come here. She didn't want to be here tonight. She didn't want to leave the house. I made her come with me to see your show. And this is the first time in one year I have heard my mother laugh. This is the first time in a year I've seen my mother smile. So thank you for that. And that was like, I got touched. You know, I got choked up hearing that. So, so it's great when you hear those types of things. But how many times does that happen in the entertainment business? You know, when you can when that sort of thing can happen that we don't, we don't know about. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next levels of your career. Oh, biggest disappointment in show business. Gee, that, I don't know. I, I never kept track of the disappointments. I tried to, <laughs> I tried to take the attitude as, you know, if you get knocked down, it's, it's, it's not whether or not you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get knocked down. It's, you know, getting back up. It's, uh, but I remember, I remember one night I had a kid on stage and, uh, and I said, uh, 
I forget what I was asking. I said, what's your name and how old are you? And, and, uh, and all of a sudden the kid and I said, and I said, who are you here with? And he says, oh, that's my dad. He points, that's my dad. And he says, and then he starts into this, he launches into this story and he says, uh, my mom's not here cause she's been taking drugs and she's got locked up or she left or she, and, she, and he starts telling this, you know, you know how kids will sometimes just tell, tell everything They they don't hold things back, but he starts telling about his mom who, 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 who had left and was on drugs. And, and, and all of a sudden I'm, I'm, you know, I'm trapped. I'm in a, I'm trapped in a box. I don't know what to do. I'm like, and my mind's going, what do you, what do I say to this kid? What do I, you know, and there was no place to go. I couldn't think of a way out. So I, you know, it, it just, and remember how Johnny Carson, when he had, would he have someone on that would say something incredibly where he had no place to go? Someone would say something inappropriate or stupid or whatever, and he would just look at the camera to let you know, okay, yep, yep, this is, yep, <laughs> no way to go. And then I just did that. I was just, I was, there was no way out. I just looked at the audience and looked back at him and said, hey, come on, let's do this. Uh, yeah, those, sometimes those moments, on stage where there's no way out you just acknowledge it and then move on got it um last question what advice do you have for the young performer growing up in some small whistle stop town in some place of the world that there's barely any entertainment or anything having to do with what they want to do in their lives whether it be entertainment or anything and what would you suggest the qualities they need to exhibit to get to the next level and get to have the kind of career that you've had? Uh, be tenacious. Just always keep working. Just always keep working on your craft, whether you're a magician or a comedian or a writer or an actor, just keep, don't give up. Just keep on. Just keep on. And and for the young magicians, I always tell them, just do as many shows as you possibly can. When I was a kid, I would do a show anywhere, even if it was free. If I wasn't getting paid, I just wanted an audience to get up in front of and do my act. Just do as many shows as you can. Once you get a thousand shows under your belt, and you're really working at it, you'll have a good act. But it takes that many shows to test out your theories and. Keep the things that work, discard the things that don't. Um, and uh, if I could give one piece of advice to any performer and they would instantly take it and not think about it, no drinking. That breaks my heart when I see very talented people who, who blow their careers over alcohol. Because whenever they do something crazy or stupid, there's always alcohol involved. Wow. Lance Burton, you laughed and made a joke when I said you were legendary. But I tell you one thing, this podcast to me is going to be something that I'm going to remember for the rest of my life. Coming here, being with you, inviting me in your house and your world here was just so special. I couldn't even begin to explain or describe how amazing this is and how your life is and you still appear to me to be no different a man than when I first met you and it's a real testament to the character and the person you are thank you so much Lance thank you Barry it's my pleasure 
As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money. Drop that fancy car. All the people love you. You're going far. Life is for the dreamers. They have all to gain. It's never quite over. So it all feels the same. You pick your own poison. Dig your own grave. Down in. Fortune Thank you for listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrykatz.com. Before you leave... Please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support, and have a great day.